Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 43 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a discussion of global compliance programs and current challenges. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. Today's podcast is sponsored by Tom Fox, who has released his new comprehensive book, The Complete Compliance Handbook. Thank you, Mike. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'm extraordinarily pleased to announce the publication of my latest book, The Complete Compliance Handbook. This one-volume compendium provides you the most up-to-date advice on what constitutes a best practices compliance program. I bring together the top ideas, the top commentators, the top techniques, and topics that you can incorporate into your compliance program literally in a 31-day format to more fully operationalize your company's compliance regime. It incorporates the Department of Justice's 2017 Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs and information from the new FCPA Corporate Enforcement Policy. If you want one volume to guide you in operationalizing compliance, this is it. It's available starting May 21 on Amazon.com. If you'd like an autographed copy, please order one from my website, www.fcpacompliancereport.com, and I will mail it to you. This is Tom Fox. I hope you will check it out. I know you will find it useful. Thanks, Tom. Now let's uh, turn to today's topic. Uh, And today we're going to discuss global compliance programs and current challenges. Uh, You know, as companies are growing and expanding into emerging markets in the global economy, the chief compliance officer often faces difficult issues in terms of the design and implementation of an effective ethics and compliance program. Um, I often discuss with clients and compliance professionals some of the difficult balancing issues they face as they grow, as the company grows, and uh, there seems to be to be a tipping point at which a sort of more localized or more, let's say, uh, national, domestic, Uh, compliance program focus turns into a global focus and the need to uh, restructure the overall compliance programs. In doing that um, and in those discussions, there are a lot of issues that come up and I sort of want to start with some of the questions and just list the questions and then we can uh, talk about them. First, how do you structure a global program among headquarters, regional, and local operations as you become bigger? How should resources be allocated among these three possible offices or concentrations? What reporting obligations should be developed? Uh, What functions should be centralized? Which functions regionalized or even uh, made into a sort of supportive or first line of defense for locals? And which uh, are left in the local operations? How should the company design controls for a global system? Um, Do you want to have uniform policies or do you tailor them sometimes for local uh, purposes to address local needs? And what what policies and controls should be modified to address those local concerns? What training programs should be generated and controlled by headquarters and what programs left to regional or local discretion and design? These are just uh, some of the questions uh, and some of the issues, and you can tell that I could probably go on and on with even more questions. But in my view, the design and operation of a global program always involves trade-offs. 
Um, to the extent compliance functions are centralized at the headquarters and sometimes at the regional level, um, CCOs have a greater ability to assure sort of consistent implementation, operation across the organization, and reinforcement of a basic set of operating principles and values. On the other hand, uniformity is not always, uh, you know, the key mantra here or the key principle. Um, Against the centralization and consistency concerns, regional local programs need to be flexible and address specific local concerns, local laws, uh, issues to ensure greater acceptance and risk uh, mitigation. So in considering these issues, uh, it's important to remember that the objective in any compliance program has to be to gain the support of the business. So an important consideration has to be how will the business embrace a particular, um, you know, how will the uh, business embrace a particular strategy? Um, uh, and how will the business uh, react to it? Will they take ownership and control of it? Uh, and will they make sure that their colleagues support it? In designing a global uh, compliance program, I always seek to balance these considerations of consistency and efficiency and regionalization versus uh, localization. So ideally, I mean, from an ideal perspective, if you're the chief compliance officer, you want a a consistent set of rules and ethical principles and values throughout the organization, and everybody adheres to it. But unfortunately, that's not uh, how the world works. Uh, Inevitably, the global rules are tested when regional or local questions arise that require some flexibility in otherwise consistent rules and policies. Global companies, uh, global global compliance programs uh, often include a headquarters staff, regional leaders, like in uh, in many global systems, I see that divided between Asia, Europe, Latin America, and the Americas, and local compliance officers in each individual company. Um, this is a good setup, uh, assuming you have sufficient resources. Uh, and you can allocate a country-by-country compliance officer. There's no doubt. And obviously, this assumes that there's a certain level of business in each of these countries. Um, I like to – a global compliance committee should hold uh, regular meetings at the headquarters. Um, These can be, obviously, telephone conferences or whatever, as often as once a week among the headquarters, chief compliance officer and deputy, and then the regional Uh, chief compliance officers, and possibly deputies uh, as well. Um, In addition to that, uh, the the head of internal investigations, and we'll talk about that in a minute, should be included in these uh, regular meetings. I like to to advise companies to use a separate global internal investigations organization as another function that requires global supervision and operation. Um, In my experience, there are a variety of functions that often are centralized in the global ethics and compliance program. These include the adoption and dissemination and communication or design of ethical principles and values, internal investigations, which we talked about, uh, hotline call centers, mergers and acquisitions, except for relatively small acquisitions on the local level, general training topics like code of conduct training, and audit and testing functions. So it's fairly obvious uh, to me that a company's compliance program should maintain consistent ethics, principles, and values. The message and requirements of an ethical culture has to be uh, 
uh, set at the top of the organization and then pushed throughout the organization. So each regional office has to make sure that ethical principles and values are communicated, emphasized, and reinforced. I kind of think of it like a um, like a cascading type of waterfall uh, where mid-level managers and business uh, support the efforts on the local level. And to me, local compliance staff play a critical role in ensuring that these requirements are followed at the local level. So I mentioned the, the importance of having a centralized uh, global internal investigations operation. And I believe that should be managed at the corporate level to ensure uh, consistent investigation practices, line of sight across the organization, and awareness of ongoing investigations and issues, and consistent investigation practices and resolutions, including discipline. This is an area where you want consistency, the ability to sell and to promote the idea of organizational justice depends upon the consistency that you have in this situation. Um, So that's important to me. And when you need that consistency uh, in the internal investigation area, that's that's the reason for centralizing it uh, as much as you can. One other topic I want to mention here, which is mergers and acquisitions. And I've seen examples of this where a global company has an aggressive acquisitions policy Transactions then are conducted at the global level, except for relatively uh, small transactions, which may be handled at the regional level. The merger and acquisition progress has, the process has to include a robust uh, set of policies and practices that are consistent relating to you know, how you carry out these transactions, contractual provisions. Uh, obviously, there are issues that are addressed differently depending upon the deal, but there are, but it's good to have a consistency in terms of how you do that. Even more important, though, is consistency in the integration of the acquired company or its assets so that the potential disruption or sort of um, leaving the new company out, you know, um, on its own, uh, you really want to avoid that so it's mitigated. Um, and so merger and acquisition planning, closings, and implementation measures should really follow a consistent procedure, and you should have a consistent centralized set of controls surrounding this process. And it also turns into a valuable resource because the business development folks who are out there, um, let's say, generating you know new deals or looking for new deals and find them, they and have a stable set of people that they work with on these types of issues. Uh, so I like uh, again, that's an important thing for for me. Another function at the global level is compliance program reviews, audits, and testing. Um, And uh, one of the advanced sort of notions that I am seeing coming, you know, advanced strategies coming uh, to fruition is um, that compliance programs with resources are now starting to conduct their own reviews, audits, and testing. Um, And uh, internally. Uh, and not necessarily be, they supplement it with internal audit, but they also do their own function. And it's a way of um, creating sort of a continuous review process. Um, and it may it may involve use of, you know, people at the regional level who are designated for that purpose. or uh, And then they will, let's say, conduct reviews within their region of countries within their region. Um, but, uh, I like the idea and I like the idea of using a staff of compliance personnel 
who are dedicated to reviewing compliance program functions, conducting their assessments and audits and testing, and then uh, supplementing it where necessary by the company's uh, internal audit uh, resources and functions. The regional offices, it's important to me, should be staffed with senior compliance staff that can, you know, officers that can support efforts of the local compliance officer uh, in each country in the specific region. This is where there's a great value in having uh, regional people with expertise in that region about the, the countries, who know the countries, may be familiar with a, a number of the cultures even from those countries, and um, it's almost like a mini headquarters office. The regional staff then helps to ensure consistency among the country co compliance officers. And they also, more importantly, help to problem solve and develop solutions for the compliance officers in the field. They're almost like, um, you know, advisors and consultants, and they're very, very helpful. Um, the success of a com the success of a uh, compliance program in each country, and in my view, depends significantly on the performance of the local compliance officer. Um, I know this is trite to say, you know, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the determinant. But a local compliance officer who engages the business, and that's the key fact, when a local compliance officer engages the business and builds a working relationship with the local business um, to ensure that compliance controls are met and the overall culture of the company is embraced is just critical. Uh, a local compliance officer makes or breaks the performance, in my view, in that particular a country. If the local compliance officer sits in his or her office and waits for people to come to them, they're making a mistake. Uh, if they're proactive, engage the business, uh, help the business, provide practical solutions, checklists, ways to get through um, problem solving and help the business to, to meet the, these otherwise, you know, quote-unquote, onerous requirements from compliance, they develop a bond with the business that is really important because the business starts to trust them. The business people start to bring them to planning meetings and let them know in advance about uh, um, plans or activities or strategies so that compliance can be on board and help them to navigate these controls. So this is a really an important part uh, of you know, transforming the relationship from one uh, being perceived as an adversary to one being seen, uh, seen as a supportive person. The headquarters and regional resources are, are basically there to support the local compliance officer in his or her efforts. Uh, but be that, you know, I can tout all the great things about a local compliance officer, but they have to be held accountable. They have to commit to finding solutions, and they have to balance their time to support the business and uh, developing strategies to help the business uh, comply with the company's compliance and internal controls. What I've also seen, though, is that the local compliance officer has a unique opportunity to promote what I would call the compliance laboratory. I've met, uh, worked with, and spoken to, and listened very closely with local compliance officers who develop their own training programs, you know, uh, to engage the local business, um, develop their own guides and checklists that were tailored to the market and the specific culture in the company, or sometimes legal requirements in uh, a specific uh, country. So 
Um, the local compliance officer in, in many ways has to be held accountable to these um, company-wide controls, but nonetheless has to be given some freedom and support from the regional side in terms of developing solutions. Uh, and there's plenty of room for that. Uh, there's plenty of room for local compliance officers to do that and to um, develop their own solutions to uh, you know, certain business requirements like training and like complying with, uh, you know, third-party onboarding requirements or vendor onboarding requirements and things like that. So this has been, you know, I know this sounds kind of simplistic, but these are observations that I've had through the years in working with global companies. Uh, the interactions among uh, all of these functions in the global compliance program is complicated, and it's a very difficult balancing act. Uh, sometimes the culture of a company may uh, not you know, support what I'm talking about, uh, but sometimes it, uh, it does, and you've you got to fine-tune the elements to make uh, a, you know, a well-functioning global compliance program uh, effective. And uh, in the end, it can be a work of art and an important operation, ultimately, to mitigate the uh, company's risks. Thanks for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a legal and compliance podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.vocoflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our new podcast series. You can contact me at my email address, mvocoff at vocoflaw.com. Let us know how you can